You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Awesome. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me to Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back, and we, we would love to get you a copy of God's Word. We'll have an usher who'll bring it back to you. If you just raise your hand, he will bring you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. So uh, turn there with me, Luke chapter 6. Uh, before I dive into the, the heart of the sermon, I, I just want to say and ask you to, to help me thank all of the volunteers and everyone who uh, really came together this weekend. We had an amazing egg hunt yesterday and two services today. So help me just give them a round of applause. Um, yeah. This doesn't come together easily. We probably had around 70 people volunteering between yesterday and today. And so if you are one of those, thank you so much for all that you have done and continue to do. So as we gather together today, our, our church has been going through this gospel, this, this, this gospel of Luke for the last several months. And we, we get to a passage today that's going to launch and lean us into the most famous and certainly the best sermon ever preached, entitled The Sermon on the Mount. But before we get to that specific text, this morning I, I, I found something very uh, unique right before this place in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to camp out there for just a second as, as we celebrate Jesus and the resurrection on Easter Sunday. You know, when we come together for Easter Sunday, there, there's a lot of things that make this day special. And I think we come in with expectations for this day. And, and many of us, we come in expecting to hear the what of Easter. I mean, don't we? We come in expecting to hear about the death of Jesus, the, the burial, and then ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. And the what is extremely important when you're thinking about why we exist, why we are here, and all the things of life. But if all you ever heard was the what, you'd miss the full picture. We need to hear the why. And if we aren't careful in leaning into the why, we can go through the pageantry and all the things of Easter and never see the beauty of the miracle right in front of us. See, so think about every good story that you know. There's always a what and a why. Every good story, right? I mean, we're not talking about Sharknado, right? That's just a what. That's a terrible movie, right? But when you look at a good action flick, there's always a good plot, Behind it. There's not just the what of things blowing up and bullets flying everywhere. There's a good why. There's something happening behind the scenes. And the thing that separates Jesus' story, the true story, the unique, authentic story of Jesus from every other creation, every other fable of salvation, is the why. See, there's always a what of how one receives in their terms, nirvana or peace or heaven or salvation. But Jesus' why is unlike anybody else's why. And I'll give you the, the hint. It's because it's not about you. There's nothing that you do to get the why. The title of my sermon today is The Story God Finishes. And that's the story I hope for you this morning. That you will let God finish your story. 
Just as we, we read stories this morning of real people in real situations where there were moments maybe in their life where they were looking as if God had just left their story alone. They, they walked away from him. They walked away from the church. They, they felt just brutally abandoned at times. The truth is that God never left them. And my hope is as we unpack this text and walk through the truth of Scripture that even though you might walk in feeling abandoned, feeling dejected, feeling like I don't even know about this whole Jesus thing, my prayer is that through the power of the Spirit, you will see that God is right here with you now. Luke chapter 6. As Pastor Mateo read for us earlier, the passage begins with three little words. In these days... It's a beautiful transition phrase that Luke uses here. It's kind of this phrase in the Greek that is going to kind of you know, put in a capsule all of the things that have happened before this moment and carry them into the moment that he is now writing about. So in case you aren't familiar with what's been going on, Jesus' story at this point has he's come in the form of a human. God has left heaven and come down, put on flesh as a child, was raised, and then when he hits around 30 years old, his ministry begins. He begins to, he gets baptized, and he begins healing and doing signs and wonders, and he begins preaching and making the proclamation of the kingdom of God right here and right now, and some are really in love with it. Some are digging and, and, and understanding everything that he's saying, while others are very upset but what this in, this in these days really leads me to think and really leads me to know as we go into this text is that at this point, Jesus is pretty famous, at least regionally. At this point, he's got a large group of people who are following him. You can, you can flip down and see because when he comes down in a moment from these mountains, there's going to be disciples. So in these days is really this moment that Luke wants you and I to get in the text, to get in the understanding of what is happening, that Jesus is a somebody and he's standing around and people wanting to listen to him. People are wanting healing. People are, are doing all things that they can to get near him. And so imagine the stress that that could provide someone. Imagine the, the things that you would have to do in order to find some me time. And that's where he goes to next. It says, in these days, he went out, Jesus, to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, this is an important place. There's a couple of different things we could take away from this. I, I want you to hear one thing. I, I don't know your story. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what's going on in your life. But in so many ways, the people of this church have been following the ways of Jesus for the last seven, eight weeks and going up to the mountain. We've been praying and preparing for this day. Every Sunday, and as Pastor Mateo said earlier, really every day is a day where we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but there's something special about Easter, isn't it? There's something special when the churches all around the world are filled on this day, and people come from far away to hear the good news. And so this moment isn't just something you do right before you go eat some ham and watch some golf or some barbecue or whatever you're getting into this afternoon. It's a moment that we've been praying for. Some of you by name, some of you in spirit, but I believe that if you're in this room, 
Jesus has ordained it. He's written this part in your story. And I want you to lean in for just a few moments because maybe God wants to finish your story. Maybe you thought you knew how your life was going to go. or This is the, really the trajectory of where everything's were heading, but God might come into your life and say, hey, let's go this direction. This is also another teaching moment for us when we read this, when we have big moments, because there's about to be a big moment in this text. We should pray. We should slow down and seek after the Lord. This is what Jesus does. He models this for us. So if we ever, I don't, know, I don't know if you've noticed, the Super Bowl began this kind of marketing campaign for a website called He Gets Us. If you watch the Braves, you have, you'd have to, you know, I guess have your eyes closed and just listen to the Braves because there's ads every two seconds about He Gets Us, He Gets Us, He Gets Us. It's behind the dugout. It's everywhere. It's this marketing campaign about Jesus trying to get us to understand, trying to get the world to understand that Jesus isn't just some far off God. No, he gets us. And in this moment, he gets us. If you have ever felt overwhelmed and, you know, stressed out a little bit by all the things of the world, things get busy and, you know, everybody has demands on you, Jesus gets you. And Jesus models for you when you have big decisions and there's a lot of things in your life, what to do. Slow down and get to the mountain. We live in middle Georgia. There's not a lot of mountains, so that's a proverbial mountain, by the way. But slow down. Find the mountain. Keep reading. Verse 13, it says, And when day had come, he called his disciples. These are those people. Those are the in those days people, like crowds of people all around. He calls them. And then he chooses from them twelve. As I was kind of preparing today, I started asking myself the question. Here's Jesus, and and he's got this great following of people. And some of these disciples that are are near him are, you know, like they are fully involved. They are 100% committed to Jesus. And some are there just kind of figuring out what's going on. They're all excited about something. But as he comes down this mountain, I, I thought about this question. I'm sitting in the, at the feet of Jesus, right? We're, we're in a circle. We'll sing in Kumbaya, right? And there's a bunch of us. And Jesus chooses 12 people, and I'm not one of them. Imagine what it would have felt like to be one of the disciples not chosen. Some of us don't have to imagine. Some of us kind of take that. And we go, that's exactly where I am. I don't feel chosen by God. I feel completely abandoned. My life is in utter shambles. My marriage is falling apart. My finances are terrible. My job stinks. All the things. And God says he loves me, right? We're kind of finding ourselves like Crystal in this story where everything's just kind of going on in life. And then something happens and we're reminded of the pain of this life. And we go, yeah, but supposedly you love me. How could you love me if you'd let this happen to me? How could you do this to me? Maybe you find yourself at that place, and you're one of those people, and you're going, how could these things ever come from a loving God? This is going to lead us to understanding the why. But I want to get back to what I said earlier about the the crowds of people. 
Because there's, there's probably two groups inside of this crowd. There's fans, and then there's followers. There's fans, and then there's followers. I can tell you that my wife is a follower of the Dallas Cowboys. And here's how I know, because she still likes them. <laughs> right? If she was just a fan, she'd just be reliving them 90s days, right? Because that's what it was. This is just me off the cuff, babe. You weren't in the first service, so i got to figure out something else. <laughs> but do you see, there's a difference between being a fan and a follower. See, a follower is committed. A follower is there through thick and thin, through in and out. But a fan is someone who's just there when, you know, the good has come. See, fans strive to get a blessing while followers of Jesus strive to be a blessing. And so when Jesus comes down from the mountain, there's this group of people. And some of them are, are sitting here going, man, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Even if you don't choose me for this special appointment in ministry called apostle, I'm going to follow you. And others are going, if you don't choose me, I'm not special enough. That means you don't love me, and so I'm just going gonna, gonna to bow out. I really came here for the miracles. If you go to John chapter 2, there's this like sea of people surrounding Jesus. And there's, there's a, a phrase in there that sometimes throws people off. It says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. You're going through your quiet times. You're, you're hoping that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And see a crowd of people and it says Jesus didn't entrust himself. And you've heard pastors and, and, and you know, proclaimers of the gospel say, well, Jesus loves everyone. John 3.16, he came for the whole world, but he didn't entrust himself to them. And I think that moment in John 2 is very similar to this moment right here in Luke 6. See, here's what's going on. First and foremost, you and I ain't Jesus, right? Let's just make sure we get that on the same page. So he knows things. He knows your heart, unlike anybody else knows your heart. And so in that moment, when it says he doesn't entrust himself, in this moment where maybe Jesus doesn't choose a, dis a disciple to become an apostle, what's happening is he sees and he knows, you haven't chosen me. See, I, I'm about to go to the cross for you, regardless whether you choose me or not. So, no, I'm not going to give you an, a special an appointment to be an apostle because you're just a fan. You're not a follower. Because a follower would take what I give them, storm, blessing, and they would say, thank you. Because they would understand the total picture of the why. Because we miss the, the why. We get the what. As these disciples, they're, they're understanding that Jesus does miracles. They're understanding the healing power he has. But they haven't grasped the full picture of the why yet. So that's one group of people, those disciples. But there's a second group involved in this picture. These apostles. Now, you've probably been raised, if you've been raised around the church at all, maybe even if you haven't been around the church just because you're in the South, to hear about these 12 apostles being called the 12 disciples, and that's just, you know, semantics. But these 12 apostles were chosen from this group of disciples, these followers or maybe fans of God who, who are around Jesus in this moment, and he chooses these 12 people to be the official disciples 
kind of messengers of Jesus. That's what this apostleship means. He's chosen them to be representatives of him. Specifically, they don't know, but when he dies and resurrects, when he's gone, he wants people to be here, to, to, to let the good news of the kingdom of God spread. So he puts in place this leadership, these apostles. And here's what's interesting. I think sometimes we look at those apostles, those 12 guys, and we go, man, they've got it all. I mean, imagine you're, you're sitting in that, that circle again, and you're one of those disciples not chosen, and you see the apostles get chosen. You might be thinking, man, they've got it going. They must have a really solid relationship with him. They've got gifting, and they've got all the calling, and he's just giving them the keys to the kingdom. Well, if you know anything about these 12 jokers, uh, that's not the case, right? These guys are completely messed up. They have battered histories. That they are, they are completely and totally at times so far away from the heart of Jesus. Matter of fact, when Jesus dies on the cross, they flee. They are running away. They are like, hey, I'm out. Peter denies him three times. I don't even know this joker. Like, I'm out of here. You look at all the rest of them, the, the sons of thunder. These dudes are cocky. You know, left and right, these guys are bad. One of the ones that Jesus chooses is the one who leads them to death, right? Like, that's these 12. These dudes are terrible. And sometimes, if we're not careful... We can look at them and be envious. Oh, look where God had put them. And we've forgotten something very important. It isn't always about them, but it's much more about him. See, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so you might be sitting there going, man, I don't, I don't have what it takes. I'm nothing special why would Jesus ever care about me? And this picture of the apostles is the answer. Because he does. I can't tell you why he loves me. Because I see my heart time and time again, and I go, why would anybody love me? I say I love you, Jesus, and then I mess up in this direction. I say I follow you, Lord, and I mess up in that direction. Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. How could you ever love a sinner like me? And in this moment, you have two camps. You have the camp that is just sitting there going, how did he not choose me? And then you have the other camp of people going, he chose me, but there's no way I'm ready. And if we are not careful, we miss the picture of why all this happened. See, in a moment, those disciples and apostles, they're going to get the what. They're gonna, many of them are going to see Jesus die. Many of them are going to see him come back with the scars and the holes and all the things, and they're going to see the what. But if you miss the why, the what won't make much sense. The what won't separate Jesus. So what is the why. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but they will have eternal life. For God did not send his Son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might 
be saved through him. See, here's what makes Jesus' why so much different than every other little G God in the world. Every other little G, every other religion is saying, here's all the things that you need to do in order to have salvation, in order to have abundant eternal life. Here's what you need to do. And what Jesus has said is it is done. It is finished. And what he's looking at you and me this morning and really every day of our life saying is that while you were running away from me, I chose the cross. While that relationship that you're in is destroying you and destroying them, I chose the cross for you. When you're in the middle of a health crisis or a relationship crisis or anything else going on in your world and you feel like God has abandoned you, Jesus is saying, I chose the cross for you. I am here. I am present. But will you let him in your story? Will you let him finish your story? Will you, will you put together this idea and the knowledge and the heart that Jesus gives you of both the what of what he did and the why? And the why is this. That there is nothing that you could ever do to earn your way to Jesus. So he left, he left heaven and came, out, came down here to be with you. He came down here to bring you back into relationship with the Lord. You might be asking yourself, okay, so what does all that mean? How does that, how does that play out in my life today? He gives us meaning. He gives us purpose. He gives us peace. It's this Hebrew word, shalom. And a lot of times we translate it as peace, and it is peace, but it's deeper. It's more than that. It means wholeness. And so I don't know which camp you find yourself in. The camp that feels dejected and, and dismissed by the Lord or, or the camp that just doesn't feel good enough to ever receive love from him. I think the answer for both is the exact same. And to me, like I've said, the, the rationality kind of goes out the window because Jesus says so. He loves you exactly how you are in your broken state. He's never left you. He's never abandoned you. Have storms come your way? Have difficulty come your way? Absolutely. But every single scar, every single step along that way points you back to him. You know, as Jesus is carrying his cross ultimately to the, to the hill where he would die on, People are mocking and spitting. They're saying all sorts of things. He, he's been whipped. He's been hit. All, all the things are coming at him. And he could find himself in this place where so easily he could just say, you know what? These people, you, me, don't even appreciate what I'm about to do. Like I'm going to die for everyone, including those who will never accept me. But he stays steadfast. And he hangs on a cross for hours. 
and his closest friends and family watch him, him bleed in utter agony. And it is finished. The physical climate changes. Things are happening. And those apostles are now running in fear. But a lot can happen in three days. He resurrects from the dead. Reveals himself to many. And he does all of that to show you that no matter how dark, how deep your hole that you've dug yourself into, that I've allowed you to go down, I am the light that will bring you out. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This morning I want to ask you if you'll let him finish your story. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I just want you to ponder and think about some things. Pray. First, where are you? Just like those stories that we read earlier, of the, some of those people who, who had gone through difficulties in life and they, they found themselves at a place that were really kind of far away from God. And yet someone brought them back to him through his people. And I think it's this, this beautiful picture because for those of us that are, in, that are in the room that are Christians, that are Christ followers, we've given our life to Jesus, what we need to know is we're not only just saved from something, we're saved for something. We're saved for people and God's glory. And so we as the church exist to help shed the light to others to point people to the city on a hill, to Jesus. And so if you're finding yourself in that place where you feel like you're alone, I just want you to ask God right now to fill this space, to fill your heart. Say, let me feel your presence because I feel alone. Maybe you feel like you could never be used by God. You, you, you're the person who, you know, just there's nothing good in you. And so why would he ever use you? you? You feel less than. I just want you to ask God right now to speak to you. Because those type of thoughts, those things are not from him, but they're from Satan, from the ruler of this world. God says that if we come to him, we will have abundant, eternal life. When we see the what and the why, we get this glorious picture that even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our, our, our tantrum and running from all things that are God, he came for you right where you are. And he says, if you'll repent, turn from, and put your faith in me, you will be saved. You'll be set free. You'll be given life abundantly. I'll make you my son, my daughter. Because you were chosen, adopted, redeemed, reconciled to the living king.
And so I want to say a prayer over you. And if, if you've never given your life to Jesus this morning and you want to do that, I, I want you to just kind of in, in your heart and in your head, say this to the Lord. God, I know I'm a sinner. And that sin, those wrongdoings, they've separated me from you. But through your abundant grace, I can have eternal life if I believe. God, I believe. Finish my story. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I'd love to just pray for you. If you'll just slip your hand up or look at me, I'd love to pray for you in this moment. God, as we gather together on this Resurrection Sunday, a lot of different stories in this room, a lot of different stories we've heard this morning. God, help us to release the pen that, of, of the story that we're trying to write in our life and give it to you. The author and the perfecter of our faith is what your word says. Be that in us. Be that through us. Help us to be a people that point others to you. Where we are broken, make us whole. Where we feel less than, tell us that we are more than conquerors in you. God, help us to walk in the resurrection power of your Son, empowered by the Spirit, to leave this place of a gathering, to scatter into this city and into this nation and into this world with the truth that Jesus is risen. Help us to, to know and to feel and to believe and to walk in the what and the why that we were once far from you, but through your grace and your goodness, we have now been reconciled and brought in here. So help us to walk in it. Help us to believe it, to love it, to, to know it. Help us to become less so that you can become more. We give it all to you. And God's people said,